Pastor Jim, and I've been looking forward for weeks to having the privilege of serving you, and so delighted to be with you today. And um, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15 in the uh, Bible that you uh, find in the chair in front of you. It is on page 874. Let's talk this morning about the greatest short story ever written, that quote from Mark Twain, who knew a little bit about uh, short stories. I do want to mention next week, before we observe communion together and before a baptism service, uh, I'll be speaking on the freedom of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, be loving toward one another, Um, be compassionate towards one another, forgiving one another, even as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So this morning, we're talking about the fact that God is a faithful Father. Next week, we'll talk about the fact that He is a faithful forgiver. So Luke chapter 15 is really a, a chapter about the recovery of lost things. And I just need to say a word of whoever put better artwork to my slides, thank you, uh, who you are. That's more attractive than my uncreative mind made them originally. So the Lord Jesus (coughs) told a story about a lost... uh, I do speak a couple languages, sheep being one of them. So the 90 and 9 are safe, but the good shepherd cares about the one that's lost. And so he goes after to find the wandering sheep. Jesus told a story here about a lost coin. Um, This may have been part of a woman's diary or a wedding present. These were very significant coins to the woman that lost her. So Jesus says that in the story, she lights lamps and she sweeps her home and she cleans it and her husband is happy. No, that's not in the story. And um, she finds her coin. And she says, rejoice with me. The coin that was lost is now found. More important than a lost sheep, more important than a lost coin, is a lost son that's recovered. And Jesus gives to us this wonderful, familiar story from Luke chapter 15. It's... is called the prodigal son story. But I want us to look back now in the context here of Luke chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, you know that that a verse without a context could become a pretext. It could be pulled out of what God really wants us to get from it. And so we want to see the extreme prejudice and the spirit of judgmentalism of those that were uh, criticizing the Lord Jesus as he began to talk about God cares about lost sheep and coins and more importantly, people. Luke 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me stop and say that uh, 
prejudice and judgmentalism is not new. It started in a garden called Eden when sin came in. And the Jews were not exempt from the spirit of judgmentalism. Now, the Bible says that we should not judge according to mere appearance, but we should make a right judgment. We should always be discerning and judging what's right and wrong. But unlike the Pharisees, we don't want to have a spirit of judgmentalism. And here, the tax collectors, these are the, the publicans, and maybe even the Democrats, and, and sinners were all drink. I'm not going to say that in second service. They... Here are tax collectors that are one of the hatest, hated, most hated group, hatest group, I was going to say, in Israel, because these tax collectors are Jews that work for the Roman IRS, and they're getting money themselves in proportion to how much they can extract in taxes, however they can do it, from their own people and therefore, they are highly unpopular. But there was another category of people in Jewish society that were considered uh, scum even more than tax collectors. They're simply called the sinners. These are the lepers and the AIDS carrier and the pedophile and the criminal. And uh, they were, it was considered a part of good Jewish society that you had nothing to do with them. And Jesus, the Pharisees inscribed grumble, said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now you understand that Bible eating was a fellowship that involved more than a 15-minute drive through Taco Bell. That was to sit down with the person to uh, have the family prepare the meal, to maybe take hours to eat with them. Now, the Jews were plagued with this problem of criticizing others that were different from them. They didn't like people that were called Gentiles. That would be most of you and me, not Hebrew in heritage. In fact, they had a nickname for Gentiles. They called them dogs. Somebody had... Um, erected over the temple. It was not God's instruction, but somebody had said, let no Gentile dog enter here, lest he be judged. But God had said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The Jewish rabbis taught that God made Gentiles to fuel the flames of hell. But worse than Gentiles, worse than even the turncoat IRS agents that are working for the Romans are sinners. And uh, they criticize Jesus. And so knowing their attitude, Jesus begins to talk about the reality that God cares about sinners. Are you grateful this morning that God does? Are you grateful this morning that God cares about lost things? And so if we take anything away from this chapter, we, we want to know that because God is a good Father, He cares about lost things. I want to suggest that this parable that we know as the story of the prodigal son is really the story of 
the faithful father. For there's the emphasis on not the son's wandering, but the goodness of God reflected in a faithful, forgiving father. All right, let's jump right into it. You're familiar with the story. It's good for us, however, to read the Word of God. Scene one, we've got the selfish son, verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now let me stop and say this is really incredibly disrespectful to the son. In Jewish culture, it was expected that when the father would die, then the eldest son would get two-thirds of the estate, the youngest son would get one-third of the estate, but this belligerent boy comes to his dad and says, Dad, it's as though he's saying, I don't care whether you're dead or alive, I want the inheritance that's going to come to me, and I want it now. And so we read that the father divided his property between them. You say, Pastor Jim, why would the dad do this, knowing that he's, uh, he's irresponsible? He's immature, as will be proved by his behavior. Well, you know, some of us are what we call experiential learners. We don't learn from lectures or books as well as we learn from life when we get kicked around. My prayer is, Lord, just help me to learn the lesson the third time. And I wonder if this boy wasn't what we call an experiential learner, and the dad knew that God would use circumstances to bring him to himself, and so I suspect with a bit of a hurt heart, the father divides the property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. All right, he didn't wait very long. He gathered all that he had because he had no plans to come back, and he hopped on a bus to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, to Soaring Evil Casino, and he partied hard. And um, he squandered his property in reckless living. I pastored for 13 years back in the 70s and 80s in Greenville, Michigan. And one day I was driving to a funeral in Grand Rapids and my car broke down. And a guy picked me up. He was really a happy, nice guy. Um, I got in the car with him. He had an open hand of can of beer between his legs, and he was smoking a marijuana joint. I guess there's a reason why he was happy. And, and um, he said, well, you know, what's the deal? I said, man, I got to get to Grand Rapids. And uh, he said, I'll, ta I'll take care of you. And um, so we're driving along, and he said, what do you do? I told him. He about swallowed the reefer. And... Um, I, I had a chance to talk to him about Jesus. And, um, and then I, I remember I came home and I said to Nancy, my wife, who's sitting right over here, I said, this guy named Monty Ball, Monty Ball, I said, I think God's going to save him. 
And I used to call him, and he'd tell his wife, Linda, not to take my calls, and I'd write him letters, and I'd go to his house to, to give him a track, and, and he'd hide on me. And uh, months later, there was a knock <clears throat> on my study door at the church, and he said, do you remember me? I said, I sure do. And he said, <clears throat> I'm Monty Ball, and I've been converted to Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you that story because Monty had won the Michigan lottery. Before I met him, he told me how much money he had won and how that he squandered it all. He told me how much he would go through a night. I said, Monty, I, I don't understand. How do you drop that kind of money in one night? He said, Jim, I'd go to the bar. I'd start drinking. I'd buy for everybody. And God brought Monty to the end of himself. It's now been 30 plus years. I, I think he's serving as a vice president of a Christian college and a Awana commander in his local church. And I, I, I see this kid, <coughs> excuse me, who squandered everything. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. You know, God can give blessing and God can give famine as well. God loves this boy more and he loves us more than to let us be in perpetually days of pain-free pleasure. And uh, God is going to use this kid who is, as we said, a kid who sometimes needs to get kicked by life to learn an experiential learner, God is going to bring a severe famine. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed oinkers, pigs. The ultimate disgraceful, considered wrong thing for a good Jewish boy to do. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So his bar buddies are gone. His party friends are not here to show compassion. And he's sitting there looking at the corn husk that the pigs are eating, longing to lick the slop off of them because he's starving. All right, that's the selfish son. But in the next scene, I'm going to suggest that we see a picture of true repentance. <clears throat> Verse 17. But when he came to himself, <clears throat> he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You say, well, Jim, aren't you suspicious that um, he put this speech together and he goes back to his father because he's hurting? I'm saying that God used his hurting to cause him to sincerely repent. Second Timothy 2 says that God gives us the grace to repent. And that that is our coming to our spiritual senses so that we can be recovered from the snare of the devil. 
And I want to suggest that this is a good picture of genuine repentance because he first of all says, I will say, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Because he was from a Jewish background, he wouldn't casually use the name of God. He would use a synonym for it like, I've sinned against heaven. What is repentance? It's saying that I have hurt others by my actions, but ultimately I have hurt God. You know, three weeks ago in the chapel of a small Christian college in Ashland, Kentucky, one of the staff got up and said, God will give us revival if we will repent and be serious about our sins. I couldn't, when I heard that, I couldn't help but think of Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll hear their prayers and I'll heal their land. And now for the past almost three weeks, hundreds of people have flooded, if not thousands, to that campus to see people praising God, mourning over their sin, and asking God to help them to return to Scripture. This mini-revival, and I believe it's genuinely that, has spread to other campuses, somewhat to Cedarville College and to other communities. It's interesting that 50 years ago, Ashland had a touch of revival that changed lives. Sometimes revivals are brief. Sometimes they're long, like in the 1700s, the Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards in the American colonies, in which hundreds of thousands of people in the colonies in which there were not millions, but they were swept into the kingdom of God. It's still true that if we will humble ourselves and pray and confess our sins and seek God's face, He'll hear from heaven, He'll forgive our sins, and He will heal our land. Amen? It could happen in Perry, Michigan. It could begin out of the Graham Church for this region. And I think of this boy who's been so sinful, but who I think genuinely evidences repentance because of his planned statement, Father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. Now, he's not coming back with an attitude of entitlement. He says, let me be like one of the hired servants. That means he'd live in the back he wouldn't have shoes or sandals. Servants didn't wear that. He wouldn't wear a robe from the family, nor would he have a ring to indicate the sonship from his father. Father, I have hurt God. I have hurt you. Let me be like one of your hired servants. Now, you say, again, uh, Pastor Jim, he's perishing with hunger. Uh, I suspect his motives. I was converted to Christ in high school through the witness of high school students. I was able to tell you that several weeks ago when I gave a bit of testimony. And uh, uh, 
my friend told me that if I didn't repent, I'd go to hell. And I didn't want to go to hell. That's why I repented and received the gospel. God calls us to himself all through the cross of Christ, but he does call us in different ways and use different things. And this boy's genuine repentance, I believe, is evidenced as we read in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. In Jewish society, it was considered indignant for a Jewish elder to run. But this dad is going to run. He's going to run to his boy. This boy that's maybe full of filth and slop, and he's going to hug him. And in that Middle Eastern culture, he's going to kiss him and embrace him. I can picture that boy, that dad, every day walking off in the direction in which his son, prodigal son, went. And maybe he was praying, oh God, do what you need to do to bring my boy back. And time went on and on. Some of you know painfully of what I speak because you have prodigals in your life. You've been tempted to give up or stop praying. Don't do that. Jesus said we should always pray and not faint. And one day that dear dad looks and there's a a dot on the horizon. As he gets closer, there's a skinny, emaciated, dirty kid. And that dad begins to run, to hug and embrace his son and say, welcome, welcome home. And the boy's going to get into his speech, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be one of your hired servants. I'll live in the back. But that's not the attitude of the dad at all. And so what we see at the height of this chapter is the welcoming father, the faithful dad. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. All right, slaves didn't have that, but it was all the symbol of sonship. Now get this, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Now the fatted calf was something normally reserved for a wedding. A wedding was the height of festivity in the Jewish culture. Honey, can you bring me that bottle of water, please? I do the steps, but I just had knee surgery, so I'm kind of gimpy. Thank you, sweetie. A a, a wedding feast uh, was the occasion in which they would kill the fatted calf. And it would probably feed the entire village for a week of festivities. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate. I um, see this group of people rejoicing that no doubt this loved elder in the building, in the village, has his son back. And the dad says something that theologically is very significant. He said, for this my son was dead. <clears throat> it's like he was dead to me. He was gone. But now he's alive again. He's lost. And now he's found. One of our daughters used to wear a t-shirt to Sparta High School. It said, lost and found. I said, Elizabeth, what's, what's that about? She said, Daddy, it's my testimony. I once was lost, and now I've found. And so here's the picture of salvation. We who were dead in trespasses and sins by God's grace have been made alive. We who were lost. I just uh, did a trip down through Kentucky to Tennessee with my brother. He's not a believer. I intentionally spent a bunch of time with him to try to be a witness. One of the things we did was we stopped at Mammoth Cave. Some of you have done the Mammoth Cave tour. In fact, some of you have probably done the Lantern Tour where they turn out the lights and it's all pitch black. The story goes there once was a guy on a tour who got lost. And they didn't find him for three days. When they found him, his hair was stark white. Uh, he was blind temporarily, and he was crazy. They said, of course, he was like that before he went on the tour, but uh, here the father says, we got to celebrate. We're, we're going to break out the good wine, and um, we're going to dance. It, it wasn't a fundamental church. And, and we are going to celebrate what God has done in bringing my boy to the end of himself. Well, there's the welcoming father. We kind of wish the story stopped there, but um, you know that there's going to be more about a big brother who's unhappy. But I want you to know something that uh, in many of the Lord Jesus' parables, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings, he actually used stories of his day, but he changed the ending. I would say that a third of our parables of the Lord Jesus were common stories of that day. See, the Jews had a story about a boy who dissed his dad and uh, <clears throat> got to the end of himself and came back and said, Dad, I'm not worthy. And, and, and the dad said, that's absolutely right. You can live in my house, but you'll be a slave. No robe, no ring, no sandals for you. And the Pharisees that are just waiting to criticize Jesus, oh, now they hear one of their stories, but Jesus changes the ending to reflect that the Father is the Father of grace and not judgment. That God delights in mercy, that mercy ultimately triumphs over judgment because of the blood of Christ. So here's the scene of the older brother, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And is big bro happy? Oh, no. He's ticked off. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Have you ever heard of the poochie lip? It looks like this. So I was in college with a friend of mine who later became known for his musical ministry to children, Patch the Pirate. And he has a song. Some of you know Patch the Pirate and stuff. Ron Hamilton and I were friends, and, and he had a song about don't let the poochie lip get you. Well, here's, here's the big brother. Verse 28, he's hangry, angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came, he, he wouldn't even acknowledge he was his brother. Can you hear him? This son of yours. One time my kids were really being naughty and disobeying, and I said to Nancy, your kids, I can guarantee you they got it from me, not her. <clears throat> but when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, we don't know, but he wants to think the worst, you kill the fatted calf for him. And then the father speaks in verse 31. Here's the final scene of the story. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I read a statement some time ago that just struck me. It's this statement. One can be lost at home. Here's the big brother. He's lost in his good works, in thinking that because he had been a good son, he had earned the Father's love, rather than just receiving the Father's love. And how many people are caught up in their good? And we'll be surprised when Jesus said at the judgment, um, you say that you've done many good works? and even seen miracles and prophesied in my name, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Let's not be deceived by self-works or by words, but understand that knowing Jesus is simply understanding that we're like the prodigal son. We've wandered, but that God is a good God. He is like this father. I was talking to my brother in the car, about Jesus. He didn't like it, but where's he going to go? And, um, and I said, God is good. God is a forgiving God. And he, that should bless all of us. That didn't bless him. He didn't like it. And a person can be at home, but lost. But what we all need to do is think about what this dad was like, the heavenly father. 
Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours, but it's fitting that we be glad that we celebrate because, again, he says, it's like our son was lost. It's like he's dead, and now he is found. I grew up, uh, as I shared with you several weeks ago, in a very happy family, and um, my dad was such a gracious man. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserves, and he was a uh, superintendent in the Pontiac Public Schools. And when I was about nine years old, <clears throat> this would be 1960, I got the Christmas gift that every nine-year-old kid wanted in 1960. Okay, I already had a bike. So it was a Red Ryder BB gun. And my mom said, you'll shoot your eye out. I remember my dad said, now, Jimmy, just two rules. Don't shoot your gun in the house and don't point it at another person. I said, yes, pops. It wasn't very long before I was down in the basement shooting my gun. And one day, dad appeared at the top of the steps. And of all things, I took that air rifle and pointed it right at him. I said, stick him up, cowboy. And I pulled the trigger. I thought the air rifle was empty, but I didn't know that a BB had lodged in the chamber of it, and it struck my dad right between the eyes. You know um, what discipline was like in 1960? <laughs> uh, I sit on a bench often because of my knee, but not because of my bottom. No, actually, my dad was so gracious. I went to him and I knew that I had hurt him, not only just about putting his eye out, but the very thing he'd asked me not to do, I had done. I said, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me. No, I, I didn't say that. <clears throat> I said, Dad, I'm sorry. My dear dad chokes me up now all these years later to, to tell you this. My dad looked at me and said, well, Jimmy, don't shoot your air rifle in the house and don't point at another person. And he never said another word about it. I have never had a difficult time identifying with the Almighty God as a gracious God. Maybe because of my background. But I've spent dozens, if not hundreds of sessions talking with people about God is not like your absentee father or your abusive stepfather, or mom's boyfriend. In fact, um, this is what God is like. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I remember counseling with a young lady who, like a lot of people, had struggles with assurance of salvation. I said, Bonnie, look at this verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, what, what does that say? She said, oh, Jim, I'm not good at directions. <laughs> she said, east, west. She said, I don't think they ever meet. She said, I think because of Calvary, that means that my sin and God's face no longer meet. Ah. As a father has compassion on his children, 
So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Hey, when you're struggling, when you're doubting, when maybe because of your background or repeated failures that we all struggle with, you question, go to Psalm 103 and be reminded what God as our Father is really like. You know, even Jesus knew what it was to have prodigals in his life. There's probably not a one of us here at Graham that doesn't have somebody in our extended family or a neighbor or a friend that knows what it is to have prodigal kids or nieces or nephews or even prodigal parents who at one point seemingly followed Christ and no longer are. Jesus had this in his own life. And we see how gracious he was. And I want to tell you that there's a high priority in the Bible for us caring for people that are lost or people that are prodigals, are backslidden. Hey, we're not many weeks away from Easter, Resurrection Day. It would be a great day for Graham Church to have lots and lots of visitors. The gospel is going to be presented. We're not going to hit people over the head, but we're going to speak the truth in love, and share the resurrection story. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the news filters back to us in the following weeks of 10, 12, 20 people that receive Christ as Savior? That means that we need to be preparing now and praying and planning to invite. By the way, those of you that hurt over the issue of prodigals, I want to recommend a couple of books to you. Mrs. Billy Graham, before she went home to heaven, wrote a book called Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. Norm Wright is a counselor. He wrote a great little practical book called Loving a Prodigal. Don't run from the issue. Pray over the issue. Don't give up for that prodigal kid. Continue to pray. So I want to close by sharing with you that we, uh, our oldest son is a cowboy in Montana. He went to Montana's Wilderness School of the Bible. I had told him that he, uh, unlike his, his daughters who are kind of, or his uh, sisters who are kind of academic, uh, Andy liked guns and horses. And uh, I understood that. So I said, you can pick out any school, Bible school, and I'll pay for it. And, uh, but you've got to go to a Christian school for one year. He found Montana Wilderness School of the Bible. It's a mile up in the uh, mountains in Augusta, Montana. And uh, I knew I was in a different culture when I drove him out there, spent the night in the dorm. I was hanging out with the guys, and the guys in college were doing what college guys will do. They were checking out the girls across the way that were checking into the girls' dorm, and I heard one of them say, ooh, look at her, she's got a Winchester. Somebody else said, whoa, that's a savage rifle. And they're checking out the girls based on the guns that they're carrying. Well, out there, if you had the permits, and they got locked up, and you know, you, you could do all that well. Uh, our son had a great year in Bible school, but then after that, he got away from God. And um, I, I won't tell you all that he got involved in, but um, 
His daddy, your interim pastor, lived on the edge of grief and despair for about five years. I'd call him. We had uh, him and the girl that he was living with and her, their five kids, five kids, come stay with us for a while. You say, you welcomed them into your home. Yes, we did. And we loved on them. And uh, one day Andy was in a pen with a bull, and that bull gave him what they call a cowboy tattoo. He kicked him, knocked him across the pen. They had to bring a medical helicopter in and air vac him into Great Falls. And um, over a course of several things, his phone calls began to change. I, uh, I'd say to him, hey son, can I quote you a verse? And he'd say, sure, Pop. You know, he's living away from God. He's drinking. He's... And, 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 and um, he could quote the verse. He could finish it. But now in his phone calls, he'd start quoting verses to me. And he had repented. Dee, the girl that he was living with, took off. And he raised those five kids. He led them to Jesus. He baptized three of them. And uh, he now is a Christian cowboy in his community with a light that shines for the Lord Jesus. It makes me think of the book of Hosea in which Hosea, reminding us of God's goodness, is faithful to his wife who has become a prostitute. It's a picture of Israel and God's people and faithfulness and the faithfulness of God. And the book closes with a promise. Hosea 14.4 I will heal their waywardness. Some translations say backsliding. And love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the anger that we deserve, it was poured out on Calvary, on Jesus, and God is there to heal our past, to bring the prodigals back, to give our land revival if we would seek His face. Let's bow our hearts together before the Lord as the worship team comes. I, I'd like to ask you, if you would, in your heart of heart, to pray, God, send a revival. And would you, Lord, begin it in me? I certainly need that prayer. Father, would you send us revival? And would you begin it with me? And now would you thank the Lord that he is a faithful father, that he is good like the daddy of the prodigal son, and he delights to forgive his children's sin. I'm going to say that again. He delights to forgive his children's sin when we confess. And he delights to save sinners. And so, Father, help us to learn and live in the light of your goodness 
please in Jesus' name, amen.